All right, folks, welcome back to On The Move, presented by Move Outdoors. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast, this is a continuation from last week's podcast, where Derek and I are going over the first half of our Wyoming elk hunt earlier this year. This podcast is going to be the conclusion of the elk hunt, which is pretty interesting. So we hope you guys like it and enjoy it. And I'm going to give you about a three-second break here before we jump into the new podcast so you can go back and listen to last week's podcast. And with that, we're going to pick up right where we left off. Hope you guys enjoy. So yeah, that uh, that big six by six, unfortunately, he because he didn't see anything, he didn't see a cow hanging out anywhere. He he heard the cow calls. He came running out. He's like, you should be a part of my harem. But then he didn't see a cow and eventually just kind of slowly worked off, worked back into the woods, which was maybe 100 yards off private land. And uh, I could hear him as the night went on. He just went farther into the private lands, bugling farther and farther back in there. And Derek met me up in that meadow then, and we ended up just taking a steep but the shortest way possible back to camp, or at least the least obtrusive way possible back to camp um, with kind of a good game plan for Thursday night, should we need it, as far as where we're going to set up. We know we knew where the bull was. Uh, we knew there was cows with the bull, so we decided, you know, kind of the best bet in the morning and kind of all day really is to just chase the bull around and try and get within close enough distance that we can call some cows in. Um, which I guess leads us into Thursday morning, which was the second last day of the hunt. And same thing, got up real early, pretty much walked to roughly the same position as where we had hunted or where we had glassed from, I should say Wednesday morning. Except uh, I was a little over overzealous, and I wasn't expecting there to be an elk in the bottom of the meadow. And I keep walking, and Derek goes, hey, bull. I'm like, what, what do you mean there's a bull? I don't see any bull on the hillsides around us. What are you talking about? And he goes, no, right down below us. And I I don't even need binoculars at this point. There's a that big six by six that I had the night before is... 300 yards below us in the field, just staring at us at this point. Like, huh, there's something walking towards me. Yeah. Granted. So it's like, so like twilight, I would say, I guess I, I think that's the right term. Like twilight is like just when you can just see. Right. So by the time we get to this point, it's 15, 20 minutes kind of after, like kind of after twilight. And uh, to your defense, Zach, there was it was at that point where the sun was like just up enough that there like is still a lot of shade in places, but there's even a little bit of darker shade in places. And that bull was standing like perfectly parallel with us coming down the hill, looking straight at us. Like he couldn't have been more straight as a freaking arrow and we saw the like the, the full width of him and he's down in this corner of the field which is the same field that we were expecting to see elk on um the morning previous because of the night before's um classing activities and 
so we we spot him he sees us like we're out in middle of the not in the middle of the field but we're just so we're so broadcast like it's so easy for him to see us and he definitely is on to us he's pointing straight at us so he turns his head he starts he starts going into the woods down in the corner and lo and behold that mature cow that we saw with him when you saw with him that night previous up on that upper field the story you just told that same cow is right there with him pops out of the woods she wasn't in the field she pops out of the woods maybe i don't know 30 yards up the hill from him and pops out in the field goes right back the same trail that he just went in on and at this point we can hear him we can hear his antlers banging off freaking trees and stuff like like not like aggressive like he's running but like you knew he was coming through there and he'll probably bobbing and weaving and bang 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 right so at that point that's when we're like screw it let's just follow him let's just go in that trail what do we have to lose yeah we have nothing to lose um it's Thursday. Our last day to hunt is Friday. And our plan is to do a lot of travel back to Iowa 12 hours on Saturday. Just knock it all out on Saturday. So we have Thursday and Friday. It's Thursday morning. We're like, what do we have to lose? We go back that trail. We just start walking back the trail. Um, you know, seeing some older sign, of course. And obviously this is a pretty worn trail like they come out into the field that way uh, pretty often it would seem busted branches from bull elk and walking through there and all that and uh and then that's when the where we alluded to um earlier on the timing of like trying to analyze scat and like how old it is that's when we ran across it like and you even made the comment you turned around to me and you're like you ain't gonna get any fresher than that <laughs> and that's what yeah. i was like i was like yeah and then that's when i made that mental note like this shit looks just as green as the grass that they're out there eating because it has yep. that it has that weird like i don't know if it's slime or what to it but like it's just it's it's wet you know yep. it's, it's wet like you can it's tell not, that it's super fresh yeah super fresh like it was that it was that cow that drop that right there on that trail because that's where we saw him go in um so that's where we made that connection and then so that that trail basically went in i don't know i'd call it 75 ish maybe 100 yards into like a clear cut area and i i think that area if i'm not mistaken zach it looks like they cut some trees down but I don't know if they leave them lay for a few years to kind of dry out or what, and then come back and get them. But I, I don't know. There was a lot of trees down in that clear cut, but like the elk were definitely using that area. There was trails oh, through it, hopping over logs, like the random across a couple trees. beds that were very clearly beds that were used within the last couple of days. Yeah. Like beds you could pick hair out of um, for sure. And like, yeah there'd be scat around them, but not like that green slimy, like not that super fresh scat or whatever. Um, but 
yeah so it was like it was pretty obvious walking in there like that's a clear cut it's on the edge of that grazing field plus even as we're walking back in there that that bull is bugling all morning like he's going oh yeah like he went back in the woods but he's not shut up like he's bugling and you we can kind of figure where he's kind of moving and he he went like down across the creek and was just on the other side of the creek and working the other part of the 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 mountain range there where that one finger was um just below the fields that we were sitting on the night prior so that's where we came to the realization like this is like his area and we saw rubs that had to be his like had to be had trees like 10 inches 12 inches plus in diameter in my opinion that were just thrashed and i'm six four and they're like coming up to my chin if not even a little higher than that like had to be his rubs so it seemed like that was like his area and again with that intel that like that cow was hanging out with him like you could tell like she wanted to breed him but she wasn't like in heat or anything i don't think i don't know i don't know that i don't know their whole rut stuff and i don't think the cows normally go into heat until like mid to late september maybe even early october yeah but it it was it was just odd right like she was hanging out with him you know and like we were essentially chasing him to get to her and he was bugling and moving a little bit and bugling and then he kind of shut up around 9 30 ish 10 maybe yeah i'd, I'd say around 9 30 he kind of shut up and i think he bugled once maybe twice between 9 30 and like 11 15 11 30. so it was almost like turkey hunting like yeah it was to, yeah kind of locate him and then we'd try to move a little closer and then it seemed like he was moving away or moving some weird direction we didn't expect and then we move a little closer once we heard a bugle and then and yeah and then he shut up and then i think we sat there for like an hour hour and a half just like well if if he shut up right there maybe he's just sitting right there so yep. um yeah maybe even at that point we moved a little closer but we weren't like we weren't in terrain where it was like I mean, we were still glassing from like where we sat down to like try to chill for a second and see if he'd bugle again. Like we can't see anything, and that it was like it was a little bit hotter that day, so it was like dry and like sticks were cracking like crazy. So we didn't necessarily like try to push and make a move on them with what we thought, you know, that time when they were just bedding, like bedding down. I would say um yep. and uh what did we do from there i think i don't really remember to be honest with you zach after that spot we kinda, we for a little bit drank some water ate a cliff bar too um so we, and, we sat down there for a little while and then he bugled maybe maybe 200 yards ahead of us and our first thought was Oh my god we better get up there 
and we booked it across that kind of clear cut um blow down kind of situation and we got to a spot where it was it was a little more open timber and we got up on a point and we heard him bugling ahead up another maybe 100 yards ahead of us um so we oh, started yeah. work, like, working like our he, way up there kind of like he was working up that same draw from the night before so is where yeah, we, exactly. were, we where we were in fields kind of above that the night before Yep. This point in the morning, we were coming almost attacking from the bottom and like trying to chase him up the bottom. And it yep. seemed like he almost was working that same kind of path, like moving up the holler, like up the. And, up and that's the something bottom. I should mention to the listeners is we were very aware of the thermals at this point. So we're we're basically trying to match the elevation that this bull is because we don't want to get below him because we know if we get below him, we're going to blow him out. So as he moves up, we're trying to move up with him. And we get to a spot, then we're sneaking up, and we can hear cows mewing ahead of us. And I throw out a couple cow calls, and they're responding to the cow calls, but they're not coming in. And then... Uh, yeah, because... Uh, so you're saying, yeah, because that was still early enough in the morning where the air hadn't quite heated up enough or at least the way that that one finger that mountain the sun had to come up over that so even though it was like 9 30 10 o'clock it seemed like the thermals were still kind of pulling down like yeah the wind was swirling but it seemed like the, just where we were in that clear cut like i don't know it just seemed like the thermals were kind of pulling down right yep. that's what and yep. then we tried to kind of move with the creek because the thermals were it seemed like we're kind of going towards the creek, right? That that lowest yeah. pressure radiation, that cooler area. So they were like kind of following we got that, that, that pre-existing flow of cold stream water that's yeah, just pulling I, all that scent down. I wish we had a, I wish we had like a whiteboard or something because it like I know how we were talking about earlier how the the the, the wind was definitely swirling really bad up towards the top of the mountain but now we're at the bottom of the mountain and it's still kind of swirling but i felt like we were able to kind of pinpoint that predominant wind a little bit more or at least the milkweed seemed more consistent going a certain way and since the wind might have been coming from the um southwest it seemed like predominantly we were we were on the south or we were on the yeah we were on the southeast side of the mountain now so it's like that we weren't getting crazy wind anymore it was like kind of more above us i would say the crazy wind would be so the thermals were more in effect towards that bottom of the mountain than they were at the top would you agree with that zach like thermals were more a, a factor towards the bottom of the mountain than they were at the top totally agree totally agree so and then um so so we ended up following this this bugling bull most of the morning we kind of ended up sitting still for oh we sat still for a solid two hours um between nine and nine thirty and eleven thirty i'd say just kind of waiting for him to bugle again because we were a little a little afraid of moving a little too close and blowing him out of the area before we got the chance yeah so the clear cut went like almost all the way to the creek 
and it sounded yeah. like he was just on the other side of the creek. So we knew we were screwed visually moving like directly across the clear cut towards him. So that's where we kind of, yeah, that's where we hunkered down kind of behind like some pine trees that were still growing up in the clear cut and just, it, it, again, it's almost like turkey hunting. Like you, you want to keep kind of hearing him <laughs> so you can make moves and kind of get ahead of them and then cut them off. And that's, that's where we were like, I would say we weren't super aggressive that morning. We were just kind of playing it cool a little bit yep. and uh, just kind of playing it out. Cause we didn't want him to know that we followed him in that trail that we yeah. went on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it uh, sounded like he, he wasn't making a, like a bat out of hell trying to get away from us. He just sounded like I'm going back into my home territory. I'm not worried about these guys. I'm just going to do my thing. And we wanted to keep it that way. Like we didn't want to push him or if he saw us again, we thought that that would be the end of it. Like then he would know we were chasing him. Cause then he had two points of contact with us and yep. that's not, that's too many to do. Yeah. So, so that, that's when we kind of pulled back and weren't quite as aggressive because again, from the cow calf incident a couple of days prior, where's the cow at? We know where he's at. Where's the cow at? Is she lagging behind him? Is she on the yeah. edge of the clear cut? Like she, she could be 200 yards behind him for all we know. Yeah. And we've got wind like semi swirling thermals are more so playing the factor, but it's still not like dead consistent. So like can't push it too, too far at that point with that other data point. Right. Um, and also I think at that point too, like our thermals, cause I, I almost think they were a little bit below us too. And, and our thermals were kind of, and the milkweed was kind of going their way, but not quite. But if the, if the wind would have swirled just enough to give them that thermal effect and then swoop it back up to them, that would have been uh, not good. So they, we were kind of at this like point where it's like, it doesn't make sense to move forward. It makes more sense to just sit here and see if they move. And that was, yeah. I just wanted to hammer that home. Uh, Cause like, I'm all for being aggressive, but if, if, if the odds well, are there's not, a difference if between the odds being are not in your favor, stupid. yeah, exactly. The odds are not in your favor, then you're being stupid. Right. Yeah. Like, yep. like, yeah, you got to be aggressive, but you don't go like all in with <laughs> like partial straight waiting on the, the river or whatever to draw you out. Like, let's just exactly. hold yeah. back for a second. We're not as, and this isn't a bluffing game. But, like we have to play this right. Um, and, and that's where, we waited for them for the bowl to kind of bugle a couple times. And we waited for him to wake up, basically. It seemed like yeah. he went to sleep and we waited for him to wake up and it took a little bit of time, but he did. And when he did, right, we didn't hear him till he started working up that draw. So he yep. started working up the draw 
before he even bugled it. It's not like he woke up in his bed and started bugling. Like he worked up the draw a little bit and then bugled and then started that time later. So that's yep. where, and then that, again, that draw kind of comes like this. So he was working up the one side. So we circled around the clear cut, tried to come up the other side, hoping that any thermals. You know, at that point, they were starting to get warmer and maybe try to work up the hill. But... They were definitely being more consistent uphill at that point. Cause this was like, this was probably 1145, 12 o'clock when this started happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was like just after lunch kind of. And since, since the thermals are coming up the draw now, it's like if we work this side of the draw and he's working that side, you know, maybe, you know, we stay on this side, our thermals are going up straight up this draw, or they're dipping down into that with the air moving up the deeper part of the draw. It, essentially his thermals or like what he would be experiencing over on this hill, everything would either be getting sucked down or flowed up, not not to him. Like away from over him. Yeah. here and we're over here, but they would be either flowing up the middle or flowing up the finger that we were on. Yep. Um so yeah, what did we do? We went up, we started working up that side of the draw, I don't know, a couple hundred yards and then uh, started hearing that mewing, I think. Yeah, we so we started hearing the mewing, and at first it was, at first it was probably like a seventy-five yards in front of us or so. We were hearing the mewing, and we got ready. I mean, we we ducked behind a couple pine trees. We both loaded our bows. We were ready, watching just in case something popped out. And nothing popped out. It got quiet. We waited there probably like five-ish minutes, and the bull bugled farther away. So we said, okay. Yep, he, he started working further up this side of the draw. He never so we, we matched him. He just kept going up. He kept going up that side of the draw. Yep, and, and we we decided we were going to match him. So we, we moved up probably, what, 75, maybe 100 yards. Yeah, we just, we just followed him on the opposite side is yep. what we did. And, and we, uh, I, uh, so I was the one with the call. I, um, unfortunately for Derek, I was in front of him and I just did a couple mews and all of a sudden there was a mew, maybe 60 yards below us. Maybe. I mean, it was with what seemed like was in the bottom of the draw. Yeah. We're, we're over here again. Remember? And that bulls yep. we're chasing that bull over here and we're over here. And it seemed yep. like that mew came from like, like it seemed like it was crossing the draw, and we're like, oh, maybe it's that cow, maybe yeah. it's that big mature cow, kind of working her way up this side of the draw for some reason. Um, and, and we didn't we didn't know necessarily the terrain because we hadn't walked it or hiked it yet, right in front of us, but we could clearly see that. Like you could clearly see that, like V, like it was yeah, V of a draw. Yeah, you could definitely see that. So, and, and, and we just kept mewing, and this thing kept mewing back at us. So Derek and I both got ready. I think I, we both got an arrow out, got an arrow knocked, got ready, and I tucked myself up against a pine tree. I'm pretty sure Derek tucked himself against a pine tree. He's probably you're probably what ten ish yards behind me at this point. 
Yeah, it was like 10 or 15 yards or so because directly, like if we're walking up the draw and to go down into it, like like where we had to decide to stop there, directly to our left was super thick. So it was, yep. like, it was like, and there was a bunch of dead blows right there and it was thick. So it's like nothing's going to walk like directly perpendicular up to us. It was either it was going to walk up in front of you or it was going to come from behind which would where it would have been my shot or yeah. like and i kept i remember i kept looking back to see if something was coming from that way and then um I, it didn't take long lo and behold i see some brown movement coming kind of up through the thick stuff but like skirting it like we're talking about because it was too thick to walk through so like kind of skirting it and like coming up your way yep and um i think i'll let you take it from there but i i saw it before you did because you had that pine tree like literally you were hiding right behind that pine tree and I could kind of see through the thick stuff, but like there was a trail kind of going through the outskirts of it. And then, yeah, I'll let you take it from there because. So you had seen this elk coming unknown to me at the time. Like I said, I'm tucked up against a pine tree and I just hear sticks breaking. So I know there's something coming and I keep mewing and I hear it stop and it stopped maybe 10 10 to 15 yards from me i mean it was close when it stopped and it let out a mew and i mewed and i heard it start walking again and i instantly just clicked record on the gopro and yanked my bow back basically and i'm at full draw now as this elk comes around the corner and my pins are set for 30, 40, 50 at this point. It's technically like 33, 42, 50 or whatever it actually is, but it, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, the point is this thing is at like seven yards and my pins are not set for anything close. So I just kind of drop the pin where I think it should go. And this thing's still walking and I touch off the release. I mean, there's an elk at seven yards. I'm I'm hyped up. My my heart rate's through the roof. I'm excited. And what I realize as soon as I touch off the release is, holy crap! I just liver shot this thing. I did not make a good shot. Hundred percent my fault. N not an equipment failure. Definitely a me failure. And uh, I tried to knock another arrow, maybe try and get another shot in it, and it just kept moving. I tried doing a couple of soft cow-calf calls, and it kept moving. And Derek makes a comment to me, dude, did you shoot it in the ass? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no chance I shot it in the ass. The entrance was definitely back of lungs or liver, one of the two. And there's blood instantly. We're real excited. This is Thursday. We've been hunting hard now for like five days straight. We finally got an elk within range. We touched a shot off. We got blood. We're excited. And uh, yeah, we're seeing blood right at impact. And I, Derek can attest to this. I'm pretty realistic when it comes to my shots. 
I generally have a pretty good sense of where I hit the animal. My exit might not be 100% accurate, but I'm pretty accurate with where I hit the animal. And I knew that it was it was not a great shot and we need to give the thing time. So I purposely told Derek, like, man, we can go like 30 yards just to make sure that there's blood. But then I want to sit here and I want to wait at least an hour. And in that time frame, we did find blood up to... I think it was about 30, 40 yards before I said, all right, I don't want to go any farther. I want to give it time. And we went back to pretty much point of impact. Uh, I called my dad, which is my, my ritual pretty much every time, whenever I shoot an animal, the first phone calls, my dad always, always and forever. The first phone calls, my dad doesn't matter who I'm hunting with, where I'm hunting, what I'm hunting. First phone calls, my dad. And, uh, I called my dad, talked to him about it a little bit. Talked to Derek about it a little bit, and we were we were all kind of fairly confident that it was a good, it was a better shot than maybe I thought it was. Um, so we decided to start blood trailing after probably an hour and a half, and I we were following blood for two hundred and fifty ish yards or so, and it was decent blood. It was it was pretty decent blood, we're but no. No arrow at this point. No arrow. arrow. No arrow at this point. And I know the elk carried my arrow with it because I saw it when it was running away. It had the arrow, pretty much everything but the fletching sticking out of it, which was really surprising. But it kept going and going and going. And after about 250 yards on the trail, we found the arrow. And we found this arrow tracked maybe another 50 yards saw where the elk went down through another creek bottom and went up the other side and just called it quits right there i personally called it quits i knew at this point my shot wasn't as good as i i initially so i i thought initially it was a liver shot i kind of got convinced then that maybe it was a little better and i should have trust my initial instinct we we tracked it for about a total of 275, maybe 300 yards, and realized we need to give this thing time. It might not be dead yet. Let's back out. And uh, just because of how close in proximity it was at this point to private, we were probably we were probably within 300 yards of private at this point. And just knowing that I didn't put the best shot on it, I I went ahead and called a dog. I saved screenshots of the landowner names and landowner phone numbers off of Onyx. And, uh, yeah, we, we, I went back to camp. Um, Derek actually continued hunting that night. So I'll let Derek talk about how his hunt went that night, but I went back to camp, went back to town, then got some ice for the cooler because at this point I knew it was a dead elk. It was just a matter of finding it. And then, um, yeah, I, I kind of went back to town, got some supplies, got some more water. We were running low on water and, uh, let Derek hunt for the night. So Derek, how'd your hunt go that night? Well, hold on before we jump into that, because honestly, I don't really remember that as much because I was a little more focused on <laughs> you finding your elk. Um, I, can we dive a little more into the evidence on the arrow? Because I think that was a big factor in deciding to call the dog too because you saw a little bit of gut material but you saw liver blood on the arrow 
I, I think we kind of skimmed over that. So let's You're right, we did. Let's we did. touch so, let's touch on that. Like because that was a big point where we were like, you know what? Who knows how far this thing has gone? Um yes, we took the info from the arrow, but we went like 50 yards farther because there was another draw. Like there was another yep. draw, and we yep. were standing on one side of the draw, glassing over to the other. And we could see the same type of drop blood trail, like nothing like it. The trail just kind of kept going. It wasn't like nothing, no beds. No, we didn't find anything where it laid down, et cetera. It just, we could still see the same trail across the draw and across that little draw. It was a smaller draw. Um, but across that draw, I mean, you were able to glass blood but then you were able to glass basically almost the fence of private and public. Yeah, no, so you're, you're absolutely right there. I, so I think that whole culmination of Intel was, especially the arrow too, was where you really had to sit there and consider the dog. Yeah. So I, I will admit that initially I thought maybe I did like a back of long liver shot and that was exactly what I hit and I didn't hit anything else. After we finally found the arrow after about 250 yards, like I said, there was gut material on the back of the arrow, basically stomach contents, like half digested food from an elk. And at that point, I instantly decided, you know what, this is a very large animal. I don't have experience tracking in this sort of uh, circumstances. You know, I've been fortunate. There's been decent blood to this point, but there's no guarantee that there's going to be decent blood farther on down the trail. I'm going to go ahead and do the proactive thing. It's legal in Wyoming to call a tracking dog. I'm going to call a tracking dog. So thankfully, Kurt came up from Colorado. It was about an hour and a half drive for him. And uh, he agreed to come up, meet me the next morning. We decided we were going to let it lay that night. And, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I thought we could track that animal that day until we ran into that little bit of gut content on the back half of the fletchings. And then just from what I know about tracking and, and, uh, just not wanting to push this animal any farther, not wanting to risk the chance of not recovering it. I I decided that it was better to back out and call a dog for for the next day and uh, see if that dog could help me find it. Yeah, because uh, I mean, when you get in these situations, right? There's a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. Like you, you want to find the animal, but you have to bring yourself back down to earth and just take in all the like all the intel that you have right and that's where the arrow came in that's where the fact that knowing that we were right on a public private line like it if you want to call a dog, you can't be going over there and stomping all over the area that you're trying to take a, a point to go further from, right? So you have to be reserved in that aspect. Like there's a lot of different variables to consider there, right, Zach? I mean, like 
I don't want to repeat them, but you got the arrow, you got the visual from the glassing, you've got the fact that you, if you want to call a dog, you don't want to go stomping all over the place. You can't obviously just hop over a fence and go onto private land. Like that takes some work. Um, the fact of what you got off of the arrow, you, you, you knew it was evidence that even if you had a tracking dog right at that moment, that would have not been the right move because that thing probably needed more time. Right. Yep. Yep. So like you have all these factors playing in to one here and that's basically what led you to the decision that it would be smarter to do next morning. Um, obviously, there's the threat of predators in the area, but from our you know our camping night experiences, we had not heard any predators over that way. Yep, no coyotes over that way, etc. Um, so we thought we were. We thought we were good in that aspect, um, and I—I I don't know. I, I think it's just the thing for me is just driving home. Like you have to take in all these different pieces of the chessboard, or take in all these different pieces of intel and funnel them down into the decision that needs yeah, to be made. I, I think you made a great, great analogy there. I mean, it—it—it it, kind of is like playing chess. You can't just look at your next move, you got to be thinking four or five moves ahead of time. I mean, right. you really do in situations like this. You, you can't think about, well, you know, I'll keep going. I'll keep following blood until I push it. Because after you push it, it might be too late. you got to think about, all right, if I follow blood and I push this animal, it could run onto, you know, however many different properties. It could run however, however far. And every time you push this animal, the odds of finding it go down. Like that's a well-documented thing. Every time you push a poorly hit animal, the odds of finding it go down. So what kept echoing in my head as we hit that blood in the bottom going up the other side was when in doubt, back out, when in doubt, back out, when in doubt, back out. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that I backed out in all honesty. That works with women too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if there's any doubt, if she if she's a certain level of crazy and you got doubt in your head, back out, man, back out. I'll <laughs> <laughs> back out. But uh yeah. But yeah, no, it it was and as we'll come to, I mean, it was 100% the right decision because again, too, like yes, we're getting close to the private line, but we don't know what's just over the private line. I, I mean, we, we don't know. Like, has there been prescribed burns on this, just this side of the public? And now if you hop over the fence, like we can try and glass, but we don't want to push it. Like, is that, is that environment actually completely different? Like on that other side of the fence, because it's private and I, you know, like you don't, you don't want to overdo it. And I, it just, we, we came to the right decision and you, you came to the right decision. And I know that was a very tough decision because you have, you have so much um, anxiety for, and, and, and then too, you don't want the animal to suffer, right? Like that's why we all try to work on our accuracy and make good shots. Like, 
we want everything to be swift and just you know we want a swift kill like it's not about the animal suffering whatsoever or any of that like but sometimes that's not the reality and i i think if you're bow hunting long enough <clears throat> if you're bow hunting long enough unfortunately you're gonna make a bad shot and and that's kind of the reality of bow hunting and just hunting in general the amount of i i would venture a guess that the amount of people out there that have you know made nothing but good shots in their hunting career is a very small number of people and you're either well, I, I would you either haven't liar. shot a lot of animals i'd call or them you're lying yeah i was gonna say i, I that's what i'm saying i'd call them liars <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly nobody nobody uh hula hoops the learning curve there for sure like yeah. it's and this whole this whole sport is nothing but a learning curve and, and i'm i'm no stranger to shooting animals with the bow i mean the last oh goodness the last three years i've probably got almost 20 ish animals with my bow over the last three years i had a stellar year a couple of years ago i shot seven animals with my bow and uh i think i average about four with my bow a year so i okay i guess 20 is a bit of an exaggeration maybe 15 but um it's not like i'm new to shooting stuff with my bow it's just you know sometimes you make a bad shot you, you envision stuff differently in your head even watching the video of the shot now that i'm back at home i can sit on the computer and review the video i'm like oh my goodness that thing was quartered too hard but in in my mind in the moment i'm like that thing's broadside shoot it like you're not going to get a better shot opportunity than this right here what what are you waiting for and yeah it, especially it, especially at seven yards i mean it, how much time do you really have exactly the thing exactly. is still moving closer to you it hasn't seen you yet you're at full draw like if it keeps moving one way how long are you going to be able to move this way with it until it sees you 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 have to make that decision and you make that decision right there because as a bow hunter you understand that when that thing's in range it's close <laughs> and you're at full draw and you have very little time for uh screwing the fuck up so you got to make a decision and you make a decision like and that's and you're on the ground too you're not in the tree stand or whatever like you're on the ground like you're at eye level with this thing you know like you have to it's like an aggressive like you have to aggressively pull the trigger in a way like because you, you the way it laid out for you for sure you know oh absolutely absolutely i mean you got to take the opportunities that are presented to you in life and and like you had said earlier i mean this is thursday friday's our last day and i'm fully convinced that this is this was really the only opportunity we were going to get the only true opportunity well at the, yeah at that point after realizing like yeah, this isn't just like uh, Disney World and there's cows running around all over the place and yep. <laughs> right? Like that was our that was our intel and this this was the opportunity that we had been hunting for and it was there 
and you have no other decision but to take the shot. I mean, yeah. for us to not go home empty-handed and within total legality of the tags that we have, that's what it was and that's what it is. And yeah. it's right there. And that, that whole, all the hype, all the planning, all the everything up to that point that we had talked about months prior, like we need this, we need that, blah, blah. Everything came, everything comes down right to that moment. Right. Like Isn't that right so funny? That Isn't that it, so funny how months of planning comes down to five seconds? It comes down right to that moment. And I think you'd be remiss to not take the opportunity, right? Like the opportunity is there. Like, don't screw it up, right? Like I yeah. think about that. Like I I I know I think about that personally as a constant reminder. It's like I don't it, it the shot doesn't have to be it's just a perfect like wide open beautiful picturesque shot like when you get that thing in a window of opportunity you have to take you have to take the life you have to take the opportunity of a lifetime and the lifetime of the opportunity and oh that's good and that's like you might not know what that's going to look like until it happens right there and you have to you have to be able to recognize that and it's not it might not be as clean as you think it is like we all have fantasy yeah something coming out right on a food plot you know awesome shot nothing in my way whatever but sometimes you gotta thread the needle and you came down to a, a point where you had to not necessarily thread the needle in that analogical sense, but like you did not have much of a window beyond when the time you took the shot, right? Agreed. Agreed. You had to take the shot. You took the shot. And then and the viewers will probably see from the GoPro footage. I, I don't know if you're going to interject it here or what, but yep. it like everything happens so fast. Yeah, so like, fast. Like you said, months and months of planning, if not years, trying to figure this out. If we were on trying to get bull tags, it would be years. Like you, you, you have to take the opportunity when it's there, and that's what you did. And um, I think, yeah, it was uh, the coolest thing for me was to see you play it smart. You played it very smart. You took in all the data. We tracked the blood. We left trails. We made Onyx uh, tracks. We did all this. We realized where we were on public versus private. We didn't push anything um, and just read all the details of what was laid before us and made the decision to call Kurt. Uh, what was Kurt's last name? Do you remember? I don't. I'd have to look it up quick. Uh, I know it's a it's it's a big last name. It's a big last name. That honestly, even if I had it in front of me, I'd be afraid of mispronouncing. <laughs> but wow. but Kurt we'll get, we'll was a Kurt. heck of a guy. Kurt yeah. was an absolute like saint of a guy, salt of the earth dude. One hundred percent, one of the best people I've ever met in my life. 
Yeah, so like you said, I'm standing on top of a log, desperately trying to get service at this point. And I, I go on unitedbloodtrackers.org, um, which I know from speaking previously with Shane Simpson. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, uh, I highly suggest you go back and listen to our podcast with Shane Simpson about his uh, new app that he came out with, Tracker. That should be episode nine on our podcast. And uh, unfortunately, Tracker was not available for iPhone at this point. So I used unitedbloodtrackers.org, put in my location on the Find a Tracker platform, and basically any tracker within an accepted radius will show up there. And in this part of Wyoming, there was only five trackers that showed up. And I called the first uh, three of them. One of them was already on another track and not available. One of them was also not available. Another one of them just didn't answer. And the last one that I called was Kurt. And Kurt, thankfully, uh, answered, picked up the phone on the first phone call, was very interested in the track. I was able to send him blood. And because of talking to Shane Simpson about this previously, I kind of knew the procedure here. I knew we shouldn't go any farther. I was nervous about going any farther because I knew I put an iffy hit on the animal at this point. And uh, Kurt graciously took the track. I mean, the, the dude drove like 70 miles in the morning, about an hour and a half to finally come meet me. Um, again, I met him through unitedbloodtrackers.org. Guy is a stand-up guy. If you're in Southeast Wyoming, Northeast Colorado, I highly suggest you give him a call. Um, him and his dog, Rocky, are awesome. And uh, yeah, they we met them the following morning at the nearest town, which is about 45 minutes away. We met them at the nearest town. Or sorry, I met them at the nearest town, not we. Um, and kind of showed them the way back up the mountain. And we started tracking at probably... So we left the trucks at probably 7.30 in the morning. We got to First Blood at probably 9.15, 9.30 in the morning. And started the track from there. And it was a long, long day. Uh, a lot of ups and downs. Once we got Rocky on the track. He basically followed to the end of the known blood trail in <laughs> a minute and a half. I mean, it's kind of amazing what these dogs can do. He followed that blood trail to the end in about a minute and a half from what, from where I knew it went to. Um, so which, which then, basically to circle, to make it clear that, so you guys started from first blood and basically yep. did our track up to the arrow and then yep. took that draw. Yeah, and then to that draw, and Rocky went straight up over that draw, following blood, and then he kind of get off, got off blood a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. And so what Kurt was having me doing was stay behind them and follow the blood trail, basically. So he was having me verify that, that Rocky was still on blood. And I'm, I'm following blood probably 100 yards behind them or so, and... Eventually, I, they get to a point where they they radio me. They gave me a radio and said, uh, "Look, we're at the property line. There was kind of two ranches that butted together at that at that point, basically where they were standing." And he and Kurt told me, "I want you to call both ranchers and see if you can get permission to track this elk because this elk is definitely across the line." And uh, I called the one rancher. 
unfortunately I wasn't able to get a hold of them. And I called the other rancher and that was an interesting story. Uh, the, the wife originally picked up and she thought that I had poached the elk on their property and then was asking permission to like basically shot it over the line and was asking, asking permission to go get it. And I had to explain to her that no, I had shot the elk on national forest, some 400 yards from her property and that it was a cow instead of a bull. And she was not happy. Um, Basically, the gist of our conversation was, uh, I don't like that you're calling me. I'm going to talk to my husband and talk to um, Wyoming Fishing Game and see where we go from here. And I told her, okay, that's that's fine. Um, when should I call you back? She told me to call back in about 10 minutes. Well, about 10 minutes later, as I was getting ready to call back, uh, her husband actually gave me a call, which when the phone number came through, I assumed it was Wyoming Fishing Game. And I picked up, and I, I wish I could remember his name. I'm horrible with names, so I'm so sorry that I can't remember your name, sir. Um, but he gave me permission to look for the elk, long story short. Uh, he, he had me explain to him everything that went on, the story of where I shot it, how the elk got to his property, the fact that it is a cow and not a bull. Um, he kind of shared with me that, that they have a lot of issues with poachers and... Um, trespassers come rifle season so they're not really a huge fan of hunters which i can't blame them if they're dealing with that every year but thankfully he did give me permission to go onto his property to look for for my elk and uh to to summarize a long story i mean we kind of we had trouble following the trail um even the dog had trouble following the trail and we got to a point where we were kind of exhausted. Uh, we were about 50 yards over over the property line onto the property that we had permission to go on to at this point. And um, yeah, the dog was exhausted. The handler was exhausted. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon at this point. And uh, we decided we were going to call it. Um, I wasn't happy about it, but there's nothing I could do. They decided that the, the dog tracker and the, and the, dog were exhausted they decided they were going to call it so we we looked at the map and decided that the best way to get back to the truck was to follow this drainage down and then then basically follow it up the opposite side go back to camp and walk out to the truck and as we're following this drainage down we just happen i just happened to see blood about 20 yards up the hill and i told the tracker and the tracker goes no way all right i didn't know that was there let's get the dog on it and we got rocky on it and Rocky followed the blood for about a hundred yards, got off it a little bit, but I saw where the blood was going, told Kurt, Rocky, he repositioned Rocky, Rocky got back on the blood, followed the blood for another 75 yards down into a little ditch. Um, and we're heading down the property line at this point, basically. So we're really not going farther into their property. We're just kind of following the property line at this point. But, um, we basically get to this little ditch. There's a creek running through it. Rocky lays down in the ditch. We filter some water, relax for a little, eat a cliff bar. And we're talking. We're like, man, there's blood right here. It's hard to say that we're going to give up hope at this point. We sat there for probably a good 10, 15 minutes. Decided, all right, let's keep following the blood. We got up and we went not 
not a hundred yards farther, maybe 75 yards farther. And I'm still following the blood behind them. He's letting Rocky go off and do his thing, do his tracking. And all of a sudden I just hear Kurt scream and, and I look up and he's got his hands up in the air and he's super excited. And I'm like, there's no way. And I'm pretty sure I floated over to Kurt at that point. Like I I've never moved so fast in my life. I don't think, especially over blowdown and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was on him in 0.3 seconds, <laughs> giving him high fives and like out of my mind because my elk was laying right there. And, uh, you know, um, I, I said, uh, I said in the video that hopefully you guys watched at this point, if not, please go watch the video. Um, man, I can't, I can't thank Kurt enough. I, I can't. I can't thank uh, the fact that I had a positive mental attitude enough. I can't thank Derek enough. There's just so many people I need to thank, but uh, certainly not the least of all is the good Lord above for just, he gave me one heck of a challenge and I was, I was able to, to overcome the adversity that he put in front of me and was able to thankfully recover this elk and get about 80 pounds of, of beautiful, fresh Wyoming elk meat. And, uh, obviously I'm going to be sharing that with Derek and, uh, I got a couple of people at work that are, that are hoping for a pack or two. So I'll probably give them a pack or two of burger or cubes or something, something I don't care quite as much about. Cause they're certainly not getting the high quality steaks. Now Derek's going to get a couple high quality steaks, but, uh, the people at work, uh, I don't know about that. They might get some burger or something, but, um, yeah, I mean, I got about 80 pounds of elk meat now. I'm most of the way done butchering it as we're recording this and, and, I, I can't be thankful enough for for uh, the fact that we were just able to find it. I mean, it was it was probably the most challenging track job I've ever been on in my life. In fact, when Derek got down to us, I'm pretty sure my exact words were, this was the most challenging track job I've ever been on in my life. And, and Kurt echoed the statement. He said that this was definitely the hardest track job him and his dog have ever been on. And Rocky did fantastic and Kurt did fantastic. And I can't thank them both enough. And man, it was just, it was such an experience. I, I, I just, I'm still speechless just thinking about it. I, I know uh, when we got down to my elk, and this is getting a little long-winded, but when we got down to my elk, I called my dad. My dad's always the first phone call, um, always the first phone call, whenever I harvest an animal. And I remember I was thinking I can be tough. I'm, I'm, I, I, I can, I can avoid the emotions about this. My dad picked up the phone and he goes, hello. And all I remember is my voice cracking real hard. And I'm like, we found it. I mean, I'm just like fighting back tears to a degree. I've never fought back tears in my life before. And uh, it, it was, it was one of, I'm not ashamed to admit it was one of the most emotional moments of my life. The fact finding that elk and just, I I'm like breaking down in tears. The dog trackers right there. And I'm standing over my elk, the hardest, the hardest earned animal I've ever had in my life. And, uh, it was, it was a hell of an experience, man. It was a hell of an experience. And I think Zach, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll take it from here a little bit. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from all of that for you and for me and, and Kurt and everybody involved, it was, like, if you're digging for gold, man, you don't know what the next 10 feet is. So you got to keep digging. You got to keep digging, right? Like, you got to keep push. like, the persistence and 
the just mindset that you have to have like like the things bleeding like it it'd be very hard for it'd be very hard for it to live you know especially with the evidence given at that point and it's like you've got to keep pushing i know at <clears throat> from my perspective cuz I wasn't with you guys. You you texted or no, no, I'm sorry. You called me at 1:30 p.m. in the afternoon, and I was kind of on my like, like I hadn't been hearing nothing, no bugles, nothing like that, or whatever. And it's just it was a dead morning, and it was kind of uh, just not what we've been experiencing the past few mornings. Um, as yeah. you had heard, and from my perspective, you call me at one thirty. Dogs whooped. I'm whooped. Dog trackers whooped, et cetera, et cetera. And then it wasn't. Yeah, I think you called me again at like two thirty-two, and you're like, "Bring an empty pack." And it's like, at, it was all that difference of pushing that little bit further. And absolutely, you guys did it. And and it, what was funny about your situation was, you did it, like, almost not intentionally, because you guys at that point were like, let's get out of here. But you stumbled back across something. Yep. But I, I think that's a big point that needs to be driven home. Is like. <sighs> And, and it, uh, of course, it depends on the scenario or what you're doing. But like, you, you don't know what that next ten yards will do, man. Like, you got to keep pushing. Like, it, if you know, you got to keep. You have to be aggressive in in your mindset of like, I'm gonna find this thing, or I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out. Like, and in that scenario for you guys, like. I, I wish I could have been there to experience that moment with you, but I, I wasn't, unfortunately. But I absolutely I, wish you were there too, man. I mean, that's that's my biggest regret of the trip is that you weren't able to be there with us. But that's all right because that, I mean, I, I, and I'm not worried about that whatsoever. It's just I, I, I think for the listeners and et cetera, like the biggest thing to drive home is like man, it's hard to beat somebody that doesn't quit. And if you don't quit, you can get like, there's, there's gold at the end of the rainbow, right? Like just keep trying to find the end of the rainbow or whatever stupid fuck. That's a dumbass fucking analogy, but whatever, <laughs> but like keep digging, right? Like, and, and you guys, it it's when all hope seemed to be lost, it, you got that little bit of hope with that just oh i see blood here and like it led to the outcome that we were all searching for that whole entire morning after the miles and the tracking and all that like it, it can be right around the fucking corner just don't just don't, don't quit and don't stop yeah. like, just you, you're way more capable of more than your brain would like to allude you to and if you can get over that in your mind and just keep pushing and pushing, like good shit can happen. And, uh, 
certainly that and, good trip that happened it took this trip from being like man this was an amazing experience uh we didn't get anything but i loved the experience to like i loved the experience and oh shit, we fucking learned something we walked out of this with a, a, a better mindset and a good understanding that like i think good, this trip happen for you, man. Don't, just don't quit like it's it's yeah, it's just so don't quit. Easy. It's easy and cliche to say, but like, don't it? Like, and, literally, and from, it, from what we quit. experienced on that mountain, though, I mean, it's so easy to quit. It is so easy to quit. We could have went back at any of those points when we we're shivering on that mountainside. We could have went back at any point, slept in the truck, went back to Laramie, got a hotel, drove that extra distance, said, "Screw the morning hunt." I mean, there's so many instances on this trip that we could have quit. We could have given up. We could have said, this is too hard. I mean, we we were surviving on a severe calorie deficit. I mean, let's, let's not sugarcoat this. We were living off of Cliff Bars, packaged tuna, and beef jerky. I mean, we certainly did not have a healthy, balanced diet by any means of it. We were burning four to 5,000 calories a day at a minimum and intaking maybe 1,500. And, and you and, learn and what you're made of on a trip like this. Well, and, and again, that's, that's our fault for not understanding, you know, it is, what, it is, what, it totally and, is. And, uh, certainly next time we would do it better, but, yeah, that aspect of, well, this is what we got. So, I mean, <laughs> you run what you brung, right? Yeah. The old the fucking drag racing saying, like, you run what you brung. So that was kind of our, our methodology going through all this. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I just, uh, I know from my perspective, I like one of the best feelings for me on the whole trip was when you said bring an empty pack and i got to just fucking bulldoze down through fucking clear cut pine trees all this shit like i had one objective was to get to the point the onyx point that you sent me and like just amazing just like time not, my friend. not caring about my noise none of that i didn't give a fuck <laughs> i was just bulldozing i was like I'm going straight to this. What is the fucking straightest point to this <laughs> fucking point? And like, just, just having that, like just excitement for your boy, like just, you know, yeah, it was a cat, whatever. Who gives a fuck? We did all the shit completely DIY. Just went out there off of fucking YouTube and you know, podcasts and trying to learn some shit and not knowing this area, whatever. Just the whole the whole thing of trying to figure it the fuck out was like the best thing. It was the best thing because that it makes it makes the fruit so much sweeter. Like when you actually get it done. And uh yeah, no, I just I, I loved just bulldozing down through that clear cut like this is where it's at. I, I'm I'm fucking getting there and I got an empty pack. I'm light for once. Like I'm not hauling anything except water right now. Like that was I would such wager, awesome. 
I, I would wager that your feeling there is pretty akin to my feeling recording you shooting your first buck. I oh, mean, man. just like pure elation, like, oh my God, we did it. This is the greatest moment ever. I just want to go put my hands on it. Yeah, no, absolutely, dude. Like, just, uh, I, like, I'm the, I'm the type of person that I get, I get just as excited for someone else's success as like my own. So like the fact that, and, and it was the whole culmination of everything, right? Like I was like taking into consideration that, you know, I was still kind of hunting and you called me at one thirty, and you're like, yeah, we're about to call this. It's whooped. You might as well start go packing up camp. And that's what I did. I started walking back up towards camp. And I packed up camp and I had I had my whole fucking camp like in my pack and like just sitting there and I was like about to start a fire and just wait for you. And then you call me like empty your pack, like come to this point. And I it didn't take me very long to empty my fucking pack, let me tell you that. <laughs> I, was, I was so fucking ecstatic, dude, because it's like Cause I was there with you. Like I saw what happened. Like there was absolutely zero like speculation on my point. Like I, I saw what happened. I saw the shot. I saw the exit and the arrow sticking out of its ass. That's why I asked if you shot it in the ass. Cause it, it didn't fully exit. It was coming out of that rear quarter. Cause it was quartering to you so hard at seven yards and the, the blood tracking and you calling the dog and just, you name it, boom, 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 boom. All these situations that happen, right? Like, and you have to keep a calm mindset and try to make logical decisions based on the intel that you gather as you go with, the, you know, through these situations. And it just, when everything comes to a point where it's like, we found success. And it's like, you, you understand, you, it's like, you know, it's saying like when you, you know, you're about to get in a car accident or something and your life flashes before your eyes or whatever. Like for me, the, when I'm hunting and I'm with somebody or it's me or whatever, and I, and there's success that's had, it's like, I get that culmination of like all the trial and tribulations to get to that point. Yep. And then I realize like, there it is. Yeah. Like that, that was the goal. And that, now the goal, that was that. Yeah. right. It, it, it funneled down to that point and you got the goal that you were searching for. And our goal, obviously our goal going out there, of course, is we both want two mature cow elks and all this and that. And it's like, okay, well, what does the reality give you? The reality gives you first DIY hunt, etc etc and okay you have cow calf tags one guy walks out with a calf and even kirk said it too i mean it's it like your expectations of what can happen is is way up here but what you might be given might be way down here and you have to still appreciate that you have to appreciate everything you went to at least to get to what you're given and uh i think at at that point like everything just came together and 
I couldn't have been happier fucking uh, packing that shit out with you, dude. That was that was such an awesome experience. Had a great week. I mean, yeah. Again, thank God for Kurt and his dog Rocky. I mean, they were. I still gotta bug him for uh, some of those pictures we took back at the truck. I gotta, I gotta message him and make sure he sends those over. He hasn't sent them yet, but um, yeah, man. I mean, it was such a learning curve, such an awesome experience. But I think I, for, I think we touched on it pretty well. For our but... First time for our first time. I, I couldn't ask for anything better. No, honestly. absolutely not. Absolutely not. The only thing I would change about this hunt is I wish I had a bull tag because I feel like we could have, just because of the amount of bulls that we saw, I feel like we almost would have done better with a bull tag, but I'm certainly easier. not complaining. I mean, I am, I am elated that I was able to shoot a calf. Um, and something the listeners might not know. I mean, that calf elk is giving me more meat than a mature Pennsylvania buck. I mean, it is a lot of meat on a calf elk. Let's not pretend that this is like shooting a 40 pound fawn or something, or a, a 60 pound fawn or something where you're going to get like 12 pounds of meat. I'm still getting 60, 70, 80 pounds of meat off this thing. I haven't measured exactly um, or I haven't weighed, I should say, how much meat I'm actually getting, but it is significant. It is more meat than I got off of my mature three and a half year old Pennsylvania buck last year. And I can tell you that right off the bat. Yeah, and it's just uh it you know, again with the first time stuff, it's it's the whole culmination of the entire experience, right? Like and I'll be honest, like I, I'm not a guy that I, I didn't know anything about elk hunting. I don't know, like I'm not in that. I wasn't that intrigued. I have not bought uh, preference points anywhere. I haven't done any of that because none of it was that intriguing to me. It was, oh, it's just a long trip out there. You know, maybe you'll be successful, whatever. But like. I like this whole trip just brought it back around for me that like yeah this this was fucking one of the most awesome things that I've ever done and it didn't matter if we killed anything it was just the fact that we pushed ourselves to go in camp you know no shower blah 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 all this and that not like you're eating, you're rationing your food, you're rationing your water. Like it, it brings you back down to earth of like what is really important in life. And I mean, certainly from here, uh, I mean, I'm going to be buying preference points like an MF or, but good. You, you better buy yourself some Wyoming preference points here because but uh, it, it just, it just going on an elk hunt, a bull elk hunt in a couple of years. And I, I got some Intel on an area. That's pretty good. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I guess, I guess what I'm trying to drive home is it's like the, just like get out of your comfort zone or get out of what you think, you know, go experience something and then make a decision if it's right something you want to do for the rest of your life or not like i want to do that for the rest of my life like you know Absolutely. like i i don't it, it was just kind of like a wake-up call to like this is out there you can go chase that 
if you want. So, so that's one of the thing, the big things I take away from this on is like a lot of people think chasing elk is a once in a lifetime opportunity and maybe depending, especially where we're from Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, Pennsylvanians think, think elk is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I just want to stress, I mean, yeah, this is a cow calf tag. This is a cow calf tag. There's no, no hiding it. I'm not going to lie about it, but, uh, it's it's four to five years of preference points to draw a Wyoming general tag for bulls. It's DIY over the counter for Colorado elk uh, for archery season. And I think two of three or maybe three or four rifle seasons. And then Idaho, their draw system's kind of a little weird, but it is technically over the counter as long as you're in the queue fast enough. Utah is not typically not horrible to draw. Montana's not horrible to draw. I mean, you can do these hunts you want to do. Uh, th- this was like this was one of the greatest hunts of my life for the simple fact of I've been dreaming of hunting elk since I was 10 years old probably. I've been dreaming about chasing elk and listening to bugles while I'm running through the trees after them for 16 years at this point and the fact that i was finally able to do it regardless of the fact that i didn't have a bull tag in my pocket i mean this was one of the greatest experiences in the woods i've ever had there is like i i just want to communicate to people that if there's a hunt you really want to do do some research on it i guarantee you can do it cheaper than you think you can all in, I had to do the math earlier because I got some guy uh, being a little rude on my personal Facebook page about the fact that I shot a calf elk. Um, I think from that post, I believe it was $390-ish, all things considered. Uh, hold on, I'll find the post here so I can make sure to to not screw up the numbers. Okay, so it was $288 for the tag, a $15 application fee, $72 for an archery stamp, and $21.50 for the required conservation stamp. That's a total of $396.50 for an elk tag, which really isn't that bad, all things considered, when you figure that uh, the state that I'm currently living in, which is Iowa, charges almost $700 for a non-resident deer tag. Not an elk tag, a deer tag. I paid sub $400 for a cow calf elk tag and was able to fill my freezer with, like I said before, 60, 70, 80, whatever it ends up being, pounds of elk meat. Um, and I had an amazing experience with my buddy Derek, something that I, I, I'm assuming he's in the same boat. I'm going to cherish this memory until the day I die. I mean, this was one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. I've got so many memories from this. I wish I could go back and do it again tomorrow, honestly. Um, it was, it was yeah, awesome. I'm right there with you, dude. I, uh, I'm like back in my apartment here with all these fucking luxuries and shit. And I'm looking around at all this fucking crap. I'm like, yeah. Like, I have 20 fucking spatulas over there. I have a couch. I have a recliner. I have a, like all this crap. And it's just like, I, 
I do not need any of this. Like all I needed was a spot to lay down and a nice pillow and a campfire and a little bit of food and water. And like yep. that was the most relieving thing ever. Just uh not being like just just having the bare necessities and lo- like loving it. Like, because it releases you from all this other shit that you have in your life. Yeah. These possessions, these things, these, like, bills and whatever. Just, like, fuck it all. Like, we're here. We're in the woods. All we care about is being a little bit warm by the fire and having a spot to, you know, sit down for a second. Because we've been hiking all day, sucking down water and eating clip bars. And it's like... It, it it brings you back around to reality of like what what is actually important you know i mean it i i always say on trips like this you learn more about yourself than anything else you really do you learn about your limits you learn about you you have so much time to think on these kind of trips you you're able to make rational decisions about your life outside of these trips and you you can kind of think about these situations and, and really figure out who you are as a person. It's unplugging is what it is. You, you it just, is. you, you get to unplug. If you have a good excuse, like we did with a cow calf tag to unplug, I would never tell anybody ever in my life to never do that. Just go unplug, figure it out, learn something about yourself, learn about just, uh, anything dude but learn about the world learn about a new part of the country that you don't know about learn about yourself learn about what it means to have to be able to survive in an environment where you don't have like easy access to all the things that we have easy access to in our deal just like just get away from it all for a second yep. like that that in the culmination of things that is one of my favorite uh, a lot of favorite moments on this trip but that like if i had to culminate the whole thing into one thing it was the ability to just unplug from everything is what i loved about it and i would i i never had that opportunity to do that in my life i've never hunted that way but man i all I want to do is go back. Like I, can't, I, I, you know, getting back on the computer and going to work and doing all this and like, it doesn't feel right. It, it no, really it doesn't. doesn't feel it right doesn't. compared to that. Like going, like that was the hardest vacation to ever have to walk back into the like every day nine to five or eight to five, whatever. Like because. Uh, there's an aspect of it where you just realize that like there's only so many things you really need in this world and if you can get those <laughs> you'll you'll be just all right like you'll be fine and yeah i would encourage anybody to just go go experience nature go experience the wild for a second you don't have to be hunting just go out and push yourself beyond having easily accessible like amenities and get out there and figure out what really matters and then 
you'll just have a new outlook on things in my opinion i it was a breath of fresh air i i i'll never forget it i think it was awesome so awesome and we certainly need to plan a lot more western hunts together i'm i'm looking forward i'm i'm slowly growing my uh regime i'll say of people i'm willing to go hunting out west with and uh, I'm I'm not afraid to say, Derek, man, you are you are at the top of that list. I mean, just through yeah. that week, everything we endured, the the you, you didn't complain at all. You just kept pushing. Um, even let your your fat five foot eight friend uh, catch up <laughs> when he was packing meat up the hill and like I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's nothing more rewarding than, uh, like what we talked about before already earlier in the podcast, you had the goal of killing something, right? But then the pack out and whatever uh, possible scenarios that can you know allude to um depending on where it goes or where you've been or you know where it died and where you did the you know the quartering etc i mean that that moment of excitement of yes we got it done but now there's another challenge of getting it out of here and granted it's just a calf so it's not like we're totally like multiple trips are weighted down or anything but um i mean that that satisfaction of uh what i'll call finishing finishing the goal right like that was i mean that was so satisfying um let's talk about a little bit what we did after we got uh got out of there um I think uh, you and I both <laughs> were craving the shit out of the nastiest cheeseburger we could find. Absolutely. And, uh, I we I didn't care what it was. I don't think you cared what it was. We were just like, what's no. the biggest, greasiest fucking cheeseburger we can find? And by God, we went to a Carl's Jr., which was attached <laughs> to a gas station <laughs> at a truck stop. And I got a two-third pound burger. What did you get? Out of I-80, just outside of Laramie. Um, uh, what the hell did I get? I well, Yeah, I asked Lay, I said, what is the biggest burger you got on the menu? I don't even want to think about <laughs> looking at the menu. Just give me the answer right now. What's the biggest fucking burger you've got? I wish I had that on video. That would so go in the video for this uh, this hunt. Just yeah. what's the biggest burger you have on the menu? I think she was like, she was like, you can get the big Carl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was like, you can get the big Carl and triple. 
for uh, whatever the price was. Yeah, um, you can. Otherwise, add the next biggest is the two third Angus burger, and I was like, I'll take the two third Angus burger. And Derek goes, I'll take the triple Angus burger. And she goes, we don't have that. We only have the triple Big Carl. And he goes, I'll take the triple Big Carl. Yeah, it was like the only triple you could get was the Big Carl. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, just give me the biggest Carl you ever made. Just give me the biggest fucking Carl. And, dude, it didn't take what? We, we, oh, yeah. we killed that food. I mean, we pounded that. Uh, I think I, I think I took, uh, yeah, I brought big Carl to his knees. <laughs> I, I, I know I had that two third pound burger, a large fry and a large soda. How's that? You housed your triple big Carl. I housed my triple big Carl before you even finished thinking about your dude. Fries. You did, you did. That thing was like two bites and it was gone. And I no. finished my, uh, my two third Angus burger and and everything that went with it. You finished wow. everything that went with yours. We went back to the hotel. Um, we got that hotel in Laramie. We both took a shower, and uh, I remember we're laying in our beds. And we're watching South Park, and I just look at you, and I'm like, "So, uh, are you, um, are you still still a little hungry?" And you're like, "I, I could eat, I could eat." And we look at Domino's, and Domino's no, no, no. The, the, the first thing you said, now the exact quote that you said was, "So about that Domino's?" <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> you're like. So about that domino because we had talked earlier in the day. Yeah, yeah, we had. We're like, we had. we're like, we want fucking everything. Fucking Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's. We're gonna eat it all. Like, we're let's eat, get we're eat, Yeah, like stomachs way bigger than our like <laughs> eyes or whatever. Like, we want yeah. everything, everything. So, Carl's Jr. Like, kind of. That was like, the appetizer. It, it, yeah, it satisfied us for a little bit, and then uh, we checked into the hotel Friday night, and we got it. We got a yeah, shower. We got shower, and then you're like, you're like, so were you? Yeah, no, it was like so about that Domino's, or so were you serious <laughs> about that Domino's or something? Because we had talked about Domino's earlier, like it was and something we, along those lines, and I, oh, no hesitation. I'm like. Yes, yes sir. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we each get a large one-topping pizza from Domino's. Dude, they had a kick-ass meal. It was like it was like up to bucks? two up to two larges Domino's pizza for eight bucks. One topping up to eight bucks. Yeah, and you got and that's uh, not counting the cheese. So no. I got sausage and you got mushroom. Yeah, absolutely. And and you ate all of yours. I ate all but one slice of mine. The, and that <laughs> slice of mine I had for breakfast the next morning. I mean, cold, just fucking straight yeah. down the gullet. Oh, uh, not even cold. It was room temperature. Yeah, room, te room temperature. And I just pounded it. I'm like, I am starving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, trying to roll out of bed. I see Zach over there like a fucking chipmunk just munching that last slice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was going in on it. But You know what, though, dude? I mean, top, top trip of my life. Absolute top trip of my life.
Oh, so fun. So fun. I mean, it, yeah. And we already talked about a lot of it, but. Dude, this podcast is going on like three, uh, over three hours, I want to say. I'm pretty sure nobody's listening at this point. They're all tired of hearing us talk. But, uh, well, I mean, we covered. And that's fine. I, whatever. But I, I think, uh, you know, the camaraderie between me and you, I mean, I think we learned a lot about each other on this trip too like oh absolutely you know, I, I this trip did nothing but make us better friends in my opinion yeah exactly exactly and uh if anybody listens to this I, great if not <laughs> who cares yeah we're still bullshitting as if we were just a random call on a friday night evening because no, dude. All I'm thinking about is how we got to plan a hunt for next year already. Right. Yeah, I know. What? Uh, how do we get a hold of some moose tags? <laughs> Wait 20 years or pay a stupid amount in Alaska? <laughs> Fuck. So there's no DIY in, like, Alaska? Just well, you, gotta... can do, you can DIY moose in Alaska, but it's... It's still not cheap, um, and it's it's uh, it. My understanding is that for moose, you still need to hire a guide or somebody to drop you off. You can do DIY, but it's still like a like a drop style hunt. Yeah, that makes sense. Airplane, fly out, drop off, or whatever. Yep, that's actually in so. grizzly country, so. Yeah, that's legitimate grizzly country, not just my dad calling me and uh, asking if it's grizzly country, which uh, I should mention we all got to laugh about because uh, we were talking about a couple – I think it was like the day before I ended up shooting my elk, how my dad was all worried about this being grizzly country. And then I shoot my elk. I'm on the phone with my dad, and Derek can hear us. Um, not that I have us on speakerphone, but, I mean, iPhone phone calls are just loud in general. And uh, my dad starts bringing up grizzly bears just on his own while we're sitting there talking. He's like, at least you don't got to worry about grizzlies. <laughs> yeah. I'm on oh, the yeah. phone with my dad trying to be serious, and I see Derek laughing about 10 feet away, just like turn his face away, starts hunching over, laughing about it. Well, for the for the backstory, and obviously no offense to your father if he hears. No, of this. course not. I, I love my father dearly. I'm I'm not making fun of him in any way. That's just a that's just a worried yeah. father no, making sure his son not putting himself in stupid situations. Yeah, but no, but it's funny because we had had that conversation. I think it, it was either the night before or the previous night before, like about. Well, it, you know, it started out with like, yeah, you know, like your dad's like asking you like multiple times over a different uh, period of time, like about the Grizzlies and like you tried, you had to keep reassuring him, right? Like this is not because what, what's a parent's, you know, job, right? Is to worry about their kids. Yeah. And uh, so like, obviously your dad was a little concerned. Um and yeah and all that but um no it was just it it was just it was funny because it was fu the reason i was laughing it was funny to me is because like we had already talked about this and it was a previous experience 
yep. for you. And we had like, like, yeah, my dad was talking about the Grizzlies. And then, and then in that moment, he brought it up again. <laughs> so that's why it was funny because <laughs> he brought it up again. Yep. Yep. But I bet, hey, man. And, and then we, we were like, yeah, you know, we're getting, we're both getting more mature. Like, I'm going to do the same fucking thing with my kids in the way. Like, like oh, absolutely. You can't blame them whatsoever. No. You know, no, for being concerned, and they just want to make sure that you're covering your bases. Like, they don't mean it in a malicious way. Like, you're stupid and you don't know what you're doing. They just mean it in, like, a have you considered kind of way. So. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, so we've been going for quite a while here, but there's one thing I still want to touch on here before we officially end the podcast, which is uh, what would you do differently if you had a do-over? Like knowing what you know now, going into day one, what would you change about the hunt? Okay. Uh, I'll start that. Um, so... I feel like my biggest two takeaways um, from everything that we just talked about, I would have a better, more concise sleep system. Sleep system, 100%, um, especially if you're going to be getting into like sub 40 degree weather. Um, and you have to take into account your elevation and the temperature drop when you go up in elevation. Um, don't rely on the weather that is the town in, you know, like Laramie, which is at 8,000 something feet versus. Yeah, I should mention, I mean, there was there was a 13 to 15 degree temperature difference between 10,500 feet where we were camping the one night and Laramie, which was 8,000 feet. Right. And I, yeah, we, we had been kind of looking at the weather for Laramie and not looking at the weather for, and we should have picked a better point, like close to the top of the mountain, whatever that would have been if, if they even had one. Um, but yeah, sleep system. Um, you're running around like crazy. You're, you know, you are up before the sun and you're going to bed after the sun. And, you know, that constitutes not very many hours of sleep. So if you're going to get not very many hours of sleep, it better be good sleep. So I would work on my sleep system. Um, yep. For me personally, I think the other thing that I would really have liked to have a better option of would have been boots or shoes or whatever it would have been to run around in. Um, I was wearing um, an awesome pair of boots, uh, Irish setter, like snake boots, almost come up all the way to my knees. Um, and I didn't know what to expect in this territory. I didn't know if we were in snake country or not, to be honest with you. Um, but I think what we realized is we were not in snake country. So um, what I had on was a little bit bulky for sure. 
not the most comfortable and not the most set up for long durations of hike, like multiple miles a day. Um, did it work? Yes. Was it the best that I could have done? No. Um, so I think sleep and shoes were definitely at the top for me. Um, clothing wise. Yeah. I think, you know, you get a little more farther into this style of hunting. Uh, you'll figure out what you need for clothing and stuff. Um, I think during the day, the clothing is not that thick because you're hiking around and you're moving, you're generating heat. So you don't need a lot where the thicker layers for us, the minimal thicker layers that we had came into play was trying to sleep at night. But that, again, that was without the sleeping bag of any kind. So again, that's, that comes back around the sleep system and shoes for me. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? That those, those were the two big uh, takeaways that I, I had. So my my shoe system was pretty well dialed. I'm not too upset about that. Um, I didn't melt a pair of socks, which I don't think we mentioned before. I melted a pair of first light socks, which made me pretty upset. Um, we had to go back to Laramie, so I get replacements for those. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, <laughs> My oh, big you, thing, you were trying to dry them out by the fire. Yeah, I was trying to dry them out and put them a little too close to the fire. <laughs> well, yeah, that well, that's something that should be said. Like, you're you're hiking around all day, your and... socks and your boots are gonna get wet, whether it's by stream or by sweat. They're either gonna have, get wet. Either have socks that you can rotate or a pair of socks for every single day that you're gonna go out. I, like, <laughs> I, I'd recommend socks so you can rotate. I'd bring at least two pairs of socks. Three pairs would be pretty optimal, honestly, because then you could uh, you could have a pair of socks for the day, a clean pair of socks, or or a pair of socks that hasn't been used for a day, and a pair of socks you're going to wear at night and the next morning. And uh, I think that's the best way to go. But um, my my big thing that I do differently, same as you, is the sleep system. I mean. I was totally unprepared for sleeping. I really was. Um, I wasn't expecting the temperatures that we got. I wasn't expecting the the difficulty. Comfortability. comfortability yeah, too. the comfortability. I mean, um, I don't know how much we really touched on it, but I ended up packing in my uh, sleeping bag probably, what was that, Wednesday night, I want to say. Wednesday night, we packed in the sleeping bag, and and I always keep an emergency blanket on the backseat of my truck, and I let Derek use that as a quote-unquote sleeping bag slash uh, blanket, basically. And that seriously improved our quality of sleep. It made all the... first night I had that sleeping bag was a total game-changer. And uh, I quickly realized that my sleep system is not adequate for backcountry hunting. And I certainly need to upgrade that before any future backcountry trips. Yeah, don't skip the sleep, man. I mean, (laughs) I would almost spend money on a sleep. Like looking back at what I know now, I would almost spend money on a sleep system over expensive, like Western hunting clothing. Um, like, you know, First Light, Sitka, Kuyu, whatever. I think I'd rather spend money on the sleep system over all of that. Oh, 100%. I, 
just walking through that woods you have so you're talking about clothing or camo or whatever like at i think like there is not many different patterns of whatever clothing somebody has that will not match something in that woods i mean you had everything yeah. from lights to darks because you have deadfalls you have, they're super light and dried out and then you have really darks that are like your pine trees and this and that's like so like a, from a color spectrum or anything like that it like it, it didn't really matter but just to yes come back around and hammer on your point like don't i wouldn't focus on the clothing and the camo per se as much as your comfortability to be able to get good rest to keep performing every single day and get good sleep like that's i some of my some of my camo that i was wearing like my puffy jacket thing or whatever like that's like a duck pattern but it has like light uh streaks through it that are basically like whatever switchgrass or whatever but then it has the darker yeah. and it's like, it all and, blends. And it works well it all blends it all blends yeah. in the, the, the day it's not the clothing like it's 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 your ability to like i would focus your investment on the ability to be able to keep performing every day and keep being able to run around and certainly that falls back firstly on your sleep and then you know if you want to go from there after sleep like a good camel back a good water filter um as we found like yeah you need water to, filter you, is clutch you want to have a water filter like you need to invest in the things that are going to keep you out there longer versus the things that is the minutia of like thinking that uh something's gonna see me if i don't have this specific camo or whatever like no that's not that's not the gig like because there's plenty of shit to hide behind back there so the camo is irrelevant like yep. you need to you need to focus your investment on what's going to keep you out there and keep you out there longer and keep you out there longer at a performing at the highest level that you want to be at to get success Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's enough about this this hunt that we've learned, and we could we could go on about this for, geez, six, seven, <laughs> eight hours probably. Um, but I think it's about time to to cut it off, just for the listeners' sake. And hopefully, the listeners are still here. I know we've been going for quite a ways over three hours here but in my opinion there hasn't been a downtime really there hasn't been a situation where this is an information that i think you'd want to know and i hope you're still entertained i hope you're still interested and i really hope you've gone to the move outdoors youtube channel and watched persistence a wyoming elk hunt and left a left a comment left a five-star review of the podcast left a like on the youtube video and we appreciate everything you guys have done for us listening to the podcast watching the channel it all helps us every five-star review helps every subscriber helps every follower on the podcast helps we appreciate everything you guys have done um we wouldn't be here without you guys so 
I just want to extend that to listeners that are still here. And uh, Derek, man, it's been awesome. I can't wait till our next hunt. I really can't. I really can't. I- I'm I'm so excited for the next hunt. I'm hoping maybe next year, uh, depending on my vacation time, we can swing maybe like Colorado over the counter elk hunt with you, me, Joel, Ryan, maybe Tyler, maybe my dad. Get get a big group of people in there. Even if not everybody has tags, just get a big group of people in there. Everybody having fun, hanging out at camp. I think it'd be a great experience. But anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you again. And you're on the move with Move Outdoors.